Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.fm. We have access to hundreds of developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team that, with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Whether you have your own team already and need some extra help, or you're starting with an idea and you need to build your SaaS or mobile app from scratch, we can take your vision and turn it into reality. Contact us at onestop.fm, and we can chat about your software project today. Today on the Big Break Software Podcast, we have Alexandra Gamara of Cloudwork. Cloudwork is a fully autom automatic time tracking software for companies needing to track, manage, and report time. You'll be able to keep your projects on track and on budget with automatic employee time tracking software with screenshots, reporting, timesheets, and more. Alexandra will tell us how she came, she and her co-founders came up with the idea, how they built the MVP, how they found their first few customers and were able to navigate a zero to product market fit of 37,000 MRR and growing. Uh, how are you today, Alexandra? I'm very well, Jordi. Thank you for having me. Okay, muy bien. Gracias. Uh, so um, give us a quick intro on specifically the problem that you solve for your customers. Yeah, right. Well, I think I will tell you a, a, bit, a little bit about my story so that you can understand why the software was, was created and what the problem we're solving. Uh, basically, a few years ago, it was, I think, back in 2008, I had yeah. the opportunity to travel to England. My husband, he's my co-founder. Um, he's an electronic engineer, and he wanted to do an MBA. Okay. Basically, while he was studying and, and doing his MBA, I became the main breadwinner and we had a little daughter. Basically, mm -hmm. I had to find a way to work from home and I started an e-commerce business. I started uh, selling technology items on eBay mainly and mm -hmm. the business started to grow and I started to hire uh, employees. I noticed that the employees in the UK and the salaries were very, very high and that I wasn't going to be competitive if I was paying those salaries. So I decided yeah. that I was going to hire a remote team in Colombia. I am originally from Colombia and obviously the, the salaries are lower in Colombia. And mm -hmm. I started hiring my remote team for my UK business. Mm -hmm. And I thought that it was going to help me to be more competitive because I was paying lower salaries. However, it became a real problem for me because productivity was a challenge. I was allocating tasks and the tasks were not being finished on time. And it was going crazy because I didn't have any way to find out what was going on. If perhaps there were many tasks to be done and they did not have enough time or perhaps there was a productivity issue and I wasn't able to find out what was happening with the team. 
um, I spoke to my husband and I told him that I was very concerned because I was paying lower salaries, but my competitors were hiring uh, people in the UK part-time and they were doing more than, than what I was doing with three or four people in Colombia. How, sorry, just how, how could you know they were doing more? Because I, they, I, they, I became friends doing... of some competitors and basically they told me for the customer service, I hire someone part-time and they are replying X emails per day. And, you know, I had a customer service team. They were remote and I was receiving mainly the same number of emails per day. And I was receiving many complaints from my customers saying, okay, I okay. emailed you three days ago and you haven't replied to my email. Okay. And I was okay, like, I okay, see. I will speak to the team. I spoke to the team and they told me we have so many emails and the cases are so complex that we need to look for information here and there. And it is taking us longer than expected. And that's the reason why we are not coping with the amount of emails that we're receiving. Okay. And basically I said, okay, then this is not working. I spoke to my husband and I said, okay, I think we will need to finish this remote work idea and we will have to hire someone in the UK. He told me, I will do my research and I will see if I can find something that can at least let us know what they are up to so that we know if they are really working so much that they cannot cope with all the emails or if they have really a productivity problem. So basically, mm -hmm. we made a research. We tried to find out if there was some win, something that could help us to understand what was going on with the team, and we couldn't find anything. That was back in 2008. So my husband yeah. said, okay, I will hire a software developer's team, and we will develop something that at least could let us know what they are up to. So that okay. was the first version of, of Cloudwork. It was a software that you could install in the computer no, no mm -hmm. matter the location of the employee, and you could track absolutely everything, what they were up to. Basically, the software would tell you which windows or activities or applications they were working on or for how long. And, okay. and that really solved a huge problem for us because we could understand that more than 60% of the working hours were being spent on activities that were not related to our business. Basically, okay. they were surfing the internet, uh, buying stuff, casinos, Facebook, and all those sort of things. So they were not yeah, actually yeah. working on the business. And that okay. was... Basically, the problem that we were solving at the time, we needed to find out what they were up to, to let them know that we needed to help us in order to be competitive and that they could obviously uh, keep the job. So we spoke to them. We told them that we now had this software and that we were going to pay, you know, according to the hours that they were working, actually working. So they changed all the behavior and they became really competitive um, at the time. They became so competitive that the business kept growing and growing. I think in, in less than one, one year, uh, we exceeded the $1 million yearly turnover with that e-commerce business in the UK. And, and we felt that the problem that the software solved for us was so, so big and so important that we started thinking that there were other companies with remote teams that could be facing the same problems that we were facing. However, mm -hmm. we were so busy with the e-commerce business that we just kept focusing on it until 
um, a few years later, my husband finished his studies. He, he, well, he finished his MBA and he did another master's in the UK. And it was only in 2011 when we decided to come back to Colombia. Uh, when we okay. came back, we sold our e-commerce business in the UK. And we came back thinking that we, could, we should continue being entrepreneurs. We didn't want to be employees. We wanted to be independent. And there was yeah. something really crucial for us. And that was when we decided to come back to Colombia. Uh, my husband said to me, okay, now we have a, an e-commerce business. Uh, we have a way to monitor and control all what the team are up to. So we don't really need to be physically in a place in order to run the business. Why do we not we do an experiment and we travel around the world for one whole year and we try to see if we can manage the business without any hassles? And we did it. So in 2011, we left the UK and spent one whole year traveling all around the world with our little daughter, just working part-time in the mornings and in the afternoon, moving from one city to another, one country to, okay. one, to the other, and making experiment you know that we could actually with the software manage the remote the remote team successfully and it worked perfectly so at the at the time we started adding features to the software so that we could you know work successfully remotely and Mm -hmm. and that we started to do that in 2011 uh, after we finished that gap year that it was finished successfully, the sales increased, the customer service was was perfect, the remote team was was working very well. We decided to go back to Colombia. And basically, when we arrived, we noticed that companies were starting to work remotely, even in Latin America. Uh, You know, in Latin America, there are many problems with the traffic, especially in cities, big cities such as Bogota. The the congestion is, is horrible, so you can spend two hours or three hours to get to your office. So the government started um, saying, okay, uh, we're going to give you benefits if you start implementing remote work in your companies. So Mm -hmm. we said, okay, we have a tool here that could work for other companies. And we started thinking about, okay, we should should do this. We should perhaps improve the tool and sell it to other companies. And that was how it all started. Uh, It took us a few years because the software that we had created for ourselves was really basic. So we needed yeah. to find the funding to improve, you know, the product, to, to make it even okay. better, to be able to sell it to other companies. So that took us a little bit of time. But I just wanted to, to, to tell you this story right. because that was how it all started. Okay, that's good to know. Now, so tell me when you when did you sell the e-commerce company? When you after the gap year and you got to Colombia, is that when you sold it? Yes, exactly. We sold it after the gap year because basically, uh, even though we could manage the remote team successfully, the e-commerce business needed, you know, the inventory control in the UK, and we did find it difficult to control all the inventory um, in the UK remotely because we didn't have access to count all the stuff. So we decided that it was better to sell it. And also because 
after having that experience, we noticed that the remote, uh, sorry, that the e-commerce business was, was fine, but the profit margin was not very high. So we discovered that software companies were selling, obviously, an item that had a higher profit margin. So we were kind yeah. of very interested in starting a software business. So we decided okay. to sell it and start a new journey with the software business. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Now, how did you do on the exit of the e-commerce? Uh, like, how was the sale for you? Yes, it was okay. It was okay. It wasn't that much. We sold it to a friend, but uh, mm -hmm. it was about two million. The exit. Oh, okay, okay. So, so you had some, you had some funds, then you got to Colombia. Well, I imagine um, two million goes a long way in Colombia, though, right? Yes, right. However, building a software is not cheap, even though in Colombia it might be cheaper than in the US or the UK or in Europe. Uh, building a software is, is always expensive. So, okay. yeah, we did have the funding and we basically uh, used that fund, that funds, um, those funds, sorry, um, to build the, the software and the MVP and to improve the business. And basically that was where our journey with Cloudware started because once we finished that MVP or, or the first good, good version of the software. Yeah. Uh, we met with Telefonica. Uh, not sure if you've ever heard about Wire, which is yes. Telefonica's global accelerator. Yeah. Um, yeah. They became interested in the product. And basically, okay. we started to be part of them. Basically, the, the, good, the good thing here was that Telefonica became very interested in the product. Basically, they said, okay, I want it in my portfolio because you know they have a portfolio for the enterprise. And, and basically uh, we were added to Telefonica's portfolio. And, and that's how it all started because we had to start, start training their sales representative in Colombia. They have over 300 sales representatives. And th that was the way how we managed to get our first sales. So basically okay. it was through Telefonica. They help us to do a lot of PR, interviews, press uh, relationships, and that, that was how it all started. They, they were like the main okay. platform for us to, to get visibility. Okay, so you sold the company two million. Did you put all of that into the software? Or presumably you, you must have t had some savings or you bought a house or something like that? Yes, exactly, exactly. Not, not, okay. all, not all into the software, not at all. Yeah, okay. we, we, yeah okay. we bought some Okay, this is what I want. This is like, this is what our listeners are going to be very interested in because that maybe they found themselves in that position or so. If you had two million, what do you think that you invested back into your software? Because you already had a product, you knew that it worked. Um, so in, in that, some might say that that is actually the MVP, um, but maybe we can call it a proof of concept. It works, you know, it makes the, your, your business more efficient. You've been running it for a year. Why develop more from that? Why develop more than that? Why couldn't you go out and find more customers just as it was at that time? Yes, that, that's a very good question because we were a very small business. I mean, the product only had one feature and the feature was that you could actually get to see all the activities that your team were up to. But the problem okay. we found is that if we wanted to sell the product to a bigger company, that, that was our, one of our main goals, if yeah. you have a team of 200 people, you do not really have the time to go and check everyone 
what is up to. So basically we needed to find a way to show metrics that were actually valuable for managers that were obviously handling big teams. And if you have a 200 people team, you really do not have the time to check the metrics for every one of them. So we needed to aggregate the metrics. We needed to find out a way to show productivity percentage uh, so that you could actually get to see a, easier reports, something that could really add value to you as a manager of big teams. So we had to invest a lot of money creating new reports. And and what we did was, okay, now we have the list of all what the people have been up to. Now what we will need to do is we will need to add a way to classify if those activities are productive or not. So that was one of the second features that we added. So you not only had the chance to see what they were up to, for example, they were on Facebook uh, two hours, but you also had the chance to check or, or classify if you think that that is productive or not productive. And that way we managed to create like productivity records or metrics like, okay, Alexandra is 80% productive because she only spent 20% in non-productive activities. And that was really, you know, something that added more value. If you have, you know, like a larger team, you can just check, for example, the productivity percentage for all your team. And that gives you a good idea. If you check that it is low, you can go and check who is, who is the, you know, who is guilty mm-hmm. of that low productivity yeah. metric. But that, that you, you obviously, if you have a big team, you just cannot see the metrics as we were using them okay. because we had a, a very small team. Small so we team, started okay. adding, adding features such as the screen capture, like you can take a picture of the screen okay. automatically every five minutes. And, and that really uh, took time. And obviously we had to invest uh, funds in that. Who was yeah. telling you about these features? I mean, how did you know that that was important? Well, at the time we did, we did a market research back in 2012, 2013, some companies in the US and in Europe started to emerge with same idea, same time tracking features. And we found out that they were adding those features. Obviously, it, we heard our customers, we heard what companies were saying, what they were needing, but we also did a marketing research. And, and, and basically what we found was that, yeah, companies in the US and in the UK that were doing similar softwares, they were adding those features uh, basically because we found that there was another market niche and that was freelancers. So we noticed that there okay. were some new companies out there that was were creating this time tracking software for freelancers and all those features were needed. So we started, you know, improving the software. Okay, so you got software. it from essentially the market told you. The market exactly. told you this. Exactly. Okay. Now, I think most many of our users are probably familiar with this concept from using freelancers on, say, like a platform like Upwork, because they have this feature as well, I believe. Have you hired people on Upwork? I'm sure you must have, eh? Sorry, have you hired people on? Uh, have you heard of Upwork? It's like a um, oh, platform yes. where you hire free freelancers, right? Because they have that, right? They have this, this, I think it's like this time tracking. Of course, it only works... F- on their platform though, is what I think it is. So it's not like a service that would be standalone that works outside of the platform. About Upwork, yeah. Yes, have you heard, have you seen this feature on Upwork? 
Um, and have you used it before? Yes. Yes, we have been using Upwork for a very long time since they were called Elans. That was a, right. a long time ago. Yeah, I was uh, using yes. them back then too. Elans, I remember that. Uh, very really? Well. They had the little, they really? had the little bird um, uh, icon. I think it was like a little bird or something. Yeah. Yes, yes, right. Yes, exactly. And I think when when they first started, they didn't have the trying tracking option for freelancers. But a, a few years uh, later, they introduced the software. I think it is it is very basic. I haven't used it for a few years now, but in the beginning, I did do my research. I used them. In fact, one of my main goals was to be able to contact them and say, okay, don't develop this software because I've got it. I wanted like a try to do a, an alliance with them or something, but but they yeah. developed their own software. But yes, I use them. I have used them. And, and especially for freelancers, I know that time tracking is absolutely necessary. Right. I, and I haven't, I don't use it, but I know that some of my employee, employees and I don't use that. I don't hire that many people off of Upwork, but it can be quite good for, you know, sort of administrative tasks. And um, so I think it's quite handy. So I think everyone understands why time tracking is is useful. You've demonstrated that by being able to take a gap year. Tell me, I want to make sure that we fully understand what what happened during this um, MVP. So how much of your funds did you put into the MVP? Because you already had something that worked for your e-business. What did you need to invest to make an MVP that you found suitable to go out and sell to your first few customers? And how long did that take you? Mm, that's a very good question. In the MVP, I would say that about... Not the MVP, like the software, when it was fully finished, it was about 400,000, I guess. But mm -hmm. obviously, if, if I add to that all the marketing costs and all these things, perhaps we invested a lot more than that. Not, not only in the MVP, because, you know, when you finish the MVP and you're like sort of tired of investing and you say, okay, now, now I need to get some customers and that costs a lot of money as well. Okay, so sorry. Can you tell me how long you spent building the MVP, and was oh, it this first? How long? Yeah, perhaps about one year. One, one year, year. Because okay. Because we so were adding more and more features. Yeah. Okay. And we did make and, some mistakes um, because we started adding and adding and adding features that, at the end, not not all of them we ended up using them because sometimes we just thought that they were useful, but at the end we tried the market and the market wasn't really demanding those features it was about one year okay one year and and did you use did you have the same developer that that developed this yes the did, same you did use the same the developer same. okay yes the same developer too yeah okay so um so it was just one developer then and, and then and then were you selling this at all or trying to get feedback from your other clients uh during this year Yes, we were offering free demos, free demos in order to get feedback and and to help us get the software tested, like the beta testing stage. It was really difficult uh, because especially here in Latin America, we kind of noticed that we were we were in the wrong place because we developed a product in the UK for a UK company that was ours. However, mm -hmm. when we came to Latin America, we discovered that here in Latin America, 
companies were not really concerned about productivity. I mean, productivity was important for them, but it wasn't a priority. So even finding people to get the free demo to test the software was a challenge. And, and well, in the first stage, that was exactly what we did, offering free demos. And, and it took us about one year as well to get all the feedback and improve, uh, you know, the features and, and get the software up and running perfectly. Okay, fair enough. Did you, what were you living on at that time? Were you, because you weren't working, you were developing this MVP. Were you just living off the proceeds of the sale from the e-commerce company? And savings and savings as well, because uh, okay. that was really tough. As I told you, my my husband is my co-founder and we have two yeah. little girls. So we had yeah. to make a living from there, but the sales were really, really low. So basically we use, yeah. You use the, savings. The, okay. Our, our savings. And how did, do you have some, how did that make you feel at that time? How did you work through? Because that's a long time, right? To be living off of savings. Like, tell me about some of the emotions that you were feeling during that time. Oh, gosh, that's what that was really, really, really tough. Uh, I must admit that many times I felt that I, I, I just can't do it anymore. I said, okay, I said to my husband, let's do something. We're not going to leave this because we have invested a lot of money. And we just cannot say, okay, I'm leaving and, and, and let's, let's not do this. But I will go and find a job. I will see what I can do. And you stay with the software and I will help you when I can. So I did, I did say that many times to my husband. But uh -huh. I, I just don't know if it's the universe conspiring for us to continue. But once I said, okay, I'm leaving this. I am getting a job. Uh, I need a steady income. Uh, something happened, like, for example, uh, the last time I said that uh, was was about two years ago when all this COVID-19 started and, uh -huh. and the sales were really, really low. I was saying to my husband, we have invested so much in this. We, would, we should be selling a lot more. Um, he told me perhaps we are in the wrong market uh, here in Latin America. Software sales are difficult, but productivity software sales are even more difficult because companies are not very interested in productivity. They are mm -hmm. scared of time tracking their employees because they feel they the, the managers feel that they will be unpopular, that they will have like legal issues with the employees. So we said we are in the wrong place. So just just see if we can go to the English speaking markets where people are more concerned about productivity. They pay by the hour, something that in Latin yeah. America doesn't happen. And then yeah. we said, okay, let's let's do something to change all this. And mm -hmm. and basically all the COVID nineteen emergency started. And companies started calling us. I mean, all the work that we had done, we said, okay, this work has not been paid off. Uh, we were really, really sad. We said, okay, uh, perhaps um, this was not the product that we should be selling in Latin America. However, we were comparing ourselves with competitors in the U.S. And we have one big competitor in the U.S. that is selling over $12 billion a year. So we said, okay, we're in the wrong what place. What company is that? It's called Hubstaff. Pardon? Yeah. Hubstaff? Yes. H-U-B-S-T-A-F-F. Okay. They've been bootstrapping. I really admire them a lot because we started perhaps at the same time, but I guess that they are in the right place. Perhaps they've used the right strategies. Uh, we mainly focus on 
finding distribution partners on selling directly to the companies. Instead, they focus on inbound marketing. Uh, they uh-huh. are in the wrong place. They are American, so they are in the U.S. where companies pay by the hour, where companies pay uh, freelancers, and where yeah. companies really care about productivity. And, and I have always said to my partner, okay, why don't we go there? And sometimes I feel that uh, being Latin American, especially I am the CEO, being a female entrepreneur, uh, that mm-hmm. has scared me off. And I have said, okay, how about if I go to the US or the UK and I say, I am a Colombian entrepreneur. I built a software in Colombia. Uh, you're always scared of what they are going to think because obviously normally big reputation software are built in the US or the UK or in Europe. So so that's been something that perhaps has stopped us from going there, but we have a very solid product. We have something that yeah. could be easily sold out there and I think that's, that's what we will do this year. We will start going out there. But, but in regards to your question, many times the emotions were so high to be absolutely honest, uh, there were times where I was thinking, okay, my life is not even worth it because I've spent so many years doing this and we're not selling enough. Uh, yeah. That's a challenge that we face every day. But as soon as I started saying, okay, I'm quitting this, I'm going to find a job, something happened. And something that was exactly happened. when the COVID-19 emergency started. And that was when we found product market feed and companies started calling us because they were facing challenges with remote teams. And that, that uh-huh. was exactly when our sales started to grow. Okay. So, so you would say then what got you through this was determination or was it just sort of just luck of just um, timing? Um, because that's quite a long time. I mean, we were, we were at 2012 and all of a sudden you went to 2019. We're talking about seven years where it sounds like sales were low. Uh, what really got you through? Imagine that there must have been some other circumstances that 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 you found yourself in where you just were able to 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 manage to to go through them. I mean, what causes that determination in you, do you think? Because I think this is quite important for other entrepreneurs listening. It's not always easy, is it? And as you see, it's been quite difficult for you. I want to know how you were able to get through those times. It's not easy at all. However, however, as I said, I, I don't know if, it's, if it was the universe helping us or, or God, however you call it, but Whenever I was uh-huh. saying, okay, no more, I can't do it anymore, something happened. Yeah. Like, uh, for example, in 2016, uh, we were invited by Startup Chile uh, to get some equity-free funds uh, to continue. The, I, I went to Chile. I spent uh, some time there. We found some customers there that helped us to go through. I mean, perhaps it was, it was determination because uh-huh. when we first started, we said, we will not stop until we become a global company, no matter what it takes. It has been extremely challenging because, as I said, we are a couple with two little girls. And, and even though if we were not selling, we needed to pay the school fees and we needed to feed mm-hmm. our daughters and we, our life had yeah. to continue. But there was always, I guess that it was, it was, it was, Basically, two things. Determination. We said that we were not going to give up, even though when mm-hmm. in the worst moments, we never said, okay, we're both quitting. 
I always said, okay, I will go and find a job and just stay with this until this works because this needs to work out. I mean, we, we always thought that it was going to work out uh, no mm -hmm. matter how long it was going to take. And, and perhaps uh, the time where, where it was going to work arrive when the COVID-19 emergency started and, and basically all that's, these that's companies in Latin America that... Yeah. Yeah, all these companies in Latin America that were reluctant to implement remote work had to do it and they started facing the challenges that we told them that they were going to face when they started to implement these new work uh, uh, models. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, I I'm curious, your, your husband um, got an MBA and, and, and got a master's presumably in business. Um, that to me sounds like someone that is doing that to kind of get into sort of C-level executive management. It's not really something that an entrepreneur would use in, you know, or need. Um, how do you feel like that having that MBA has, has, has changed the business? Has it, has it helped you? Um, what are your feelings on, on getting an MBA and be, being, an, being an entrepreneur? Well, uh, when he uh, said that he wanted to do an MBA, once he said, okay, if I want to learn, I just can read books. There are many books about MBA that perhaps the knowledge I can get it even if I don't go to the school. But mm -hmm. he always told me that the main reason why he wanted to do it is because he wanted to uh, increase that network, his network. He said, okay, mm -hmm. if I go to the UK, perhaps I will have the chance to meet people from all around the world. And one mm -hmm. day, if we want to have a global company and we need a contact in Switzerland, I don't know, wherever, we will be mm -hmm. able to speak to, to someone um, and they will be able to at least offer guidance on how to do that. He has always wanted to be a global entrepreneur and, and perhaps that was the main reason why, why he wanted to do it. And obviously he had the chance to do it in London, you know, it's a multicultural mm -hmm. place when you get to meet people from all around the world. And that has helped us a lot, a lot, because as I said, uh, we now have a huge network in many countries around the world. And, and I guess that that will also help us. Right now we're only selling in that Latin American countries, but mm -hmm. we will start, you know, taking the next steps. And I feel that all his friends, uh, all the, the people he met uh, during his studies will be key for us because at least you have a helping hand in a country where you can ask, okay, how do I do this? How do I go there? Perhaps they will be able to introduce you to someone who can help. And, and that, okay, I think so that you was feel like it was a pot. It sounds like it was a positive experience, though, and he's he still, it wasn't like a, a drain on resources or anything like that. It sounds like you were, he was glad that he did it and it's helped your, uh, or will you plan on it helping your, um, the, your company? Exactly. It was a very positive experience. And in fact, I think whenever we have, uh, you know, spoken to, to customers and companies, especially here in Latin America, when you hold an MBA, um, you're very respected. So people, if you speak about company productivity, uh, you will have look like better reputation and they will believe more what you're saying. So in terms of okay. sales for us, it's been very, very helpful. Okay, that's good. That's good to hear. So it sounds, would you say that be, that COVID um, has shifted the, the Latino market over to thinking, okay, we do need to track our employees. Is that really what catapulted you into product market fit? Did it happen like literally in like three months? 
Tell me about how you were getting your customers before COVID and then post COVID. Yeah, before COVID, as I said, we mainly focus on finding software vendors. Basically, we were approaching them and saying, we have a software here that can complement your offer. You can upsell, you know, to your customers and you can tell them that you have this software for productivity. So that was a main challenge, uh, 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 finding um, software vendors. As I told you, we met Telefonica. Telefonica uh-huh. became one of our partners as well, not only here in Colombia, also in Peru and in Chile. So yep. we were main, mainly focus, focusing our efforts on finding software vendors. Uh, partners. Did you have more yeah, than, how vendors. many vendors did you have at that time? Telefonica sounds like it could have essentially been your only client and you would have been doing quite well. Um, was that the case? No, that was not the case. They are very a very big company, but because they are a very big company, they have many products in their portfolio. So we were just okay. one more. So basically... Okay, so as, you were as, like in a marketplace uh, yeah. or something. You were in a marketplace and I, I thought it was like bundled with their... With their um, clients or something. Not really in a marketplace. I mean, we were training their employees, uh, basically their sales representative, the ones that sell to the companies. But basically, because mm-hmm. Telefonica is a telco, what they sell the most is, uh, you know, landlines. They sell mobile phones. So basically, their main interest is not in selling our software because they sell for Microsoft as well. They are they have incorporated many, many products. So what we found is that they were selling, but they were not selling a lot because they have they mm-hmm. had every sale sales representative had like thirty uh, products in their portfolio. So whenever they meet customers, they do not have the time to explain or or offer all the products they have. So basically, they were reacting to company to companies' needs. So they only sold the software if a customer asked, do you have any productivity software? So yeah, but they were not Mm -hmm. actively selling the software. So they were selling and we did find some customers through Telefonica, but uh, not very many, not very many. Uh, I would say no more than 1000 users and that's not a lot. And, And basically we found that we needed to find more specialized software vendors more specialized partners because that was the only way to sell. Obviously, we did try to sell directly as well, but our main focus was to uh, support our partners' channel. We did find an income stream because we started charging our partners to become our resellers mm-hmm. uh, because we had to train mm-hmm. them, we had to offer you know all these sort of support, and that became an income stream as well. That was that was good. That was something that helped us to go through the difficult times, because mm-hmm. people and software vendors were interested in the software and they were willing to pay to become uh, a software uh, reseller for us. So that that was okay. that, that also helped us to go through the difficult times. When did you when did you become sort of cash flow positive? At least you were able to cover your bills and maybe even do a hire and not live off of savings. Do you remember that point? Yes, I do remember that point because I was waiting for it uh, so badly. Yeah, it was back in 2019, perhaps uh, June 2019, that we started like, okay, we can breathe now. We can pay at least the the staff. It was was really, really tough to get there 
and and yeah i can remember now like if it was you remember it was that was at that time did you feel like okay this is uh, all the work has been worth it and this is what we're doing did you like look at your husband and say you know hey we're cash flow positive this is what we're doing now it's all been worth it do you remember feeling that way yes exactly exactly and and it's it's kind of funny because we felt like giving up so so many times that when you finally get there you just can't believe it but well it, it was a great relief and and right now that we're you know cash flow positive that we feel that uh this is growing now we just can want to go and 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 take the next step that is trying to find some a uh, english speaking customers because we know there's a huge market uh, for us out there Okay. Yeah, I I believe that. Um so well that's exciting. So two, 2019 and that's even sort of a year before COVID. Um then COVID hit. How did that affect your sales? Was it sort of explosive or, or was it trickling in? Was it users finding you? What was the what was sort of the big change when COVID happened? It wasn't explosive like okay, uh, thousands of customers uh, flowing in, but they started to call us. I mean, many customers that we had approached in the past and they had said, okay, that's interesting, but we're scared of time tracking people. We may have legal issues. I I don't know if they just said, okay, now we need to implement remote work and we're going to face challenges that they started calling us. And, And that was, you know, it wasn't like very fast. Like we started getting hundreds of leads every month, but slowly mm-hmm. they started to contact us and we started to get some some more leads uh, in fact we we stopped at like our marketing efforts because we were kind of we, we said okay we cannot cope with all these calls that are getting in and with all these meetings um i, I was obviously sad because obviously no one wanted uh covid19 to appear but for us uh, you know it, it was it was good it was it was good yeah well, I know for a lot of remote software companies, it's obviously uh, Slack and Zoom and all of these. Basically, anything having to do with remote has just boomed during this period. And I, it seems like it's not going away because people are getting more and more used to having remote workers. Have you found that? Yes, exactly. Last year, last year, perhaps at the end of last year, we had companies contacting us and said, okay, um, I think we're not using the software anymore because we're going to go back to the office. And uh, okay, we said, okay, even though our software also works if you are in the office, yeah. but okay, yeah, we said, okay. But this year, again, because all this COVID-19, um, again, is, is hitting is, is hitting hard. Uh, they contacted us again and said, okay, we need the software. And even some companies again, yeah. that we had contacted in the past, they are already, you know, contacting us and looking for us because they, they say that at least at, at, until the end of this year, they will be working remote. Okay. We're getting close to the end of our agreed upon time, but I do want to ask one final question. I usually end with this question. If you could go back and say Alexandra of 2000, say 13, 14, um, you make sure you do this or what is the one greatest lesson that you've learned in your journey from say your proof of concept, say 2014 or whatever, 2016 to now, what would you say the greatest lesson is that you've learned? The greatest lesson Perhaps I should have yes. heard my users more because as I said, we spent a lot of time building the software, the MVP. 
we added more uh -huh. features than the ones we needed to add. And we spent a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of resources creating uh -huh. uh, features that we shouldn't have created because the users were not asking for them. So I guess that yeah. I should have heard the users more. The other big lesson I learned, at least here in Latin America, free demos are not valued. I mean, I know in the US, you know, it is, it is very common, like having free uh, versions, but here in Latin mm -hmm. America, whenever you go, you give something free, they do not value it. And sometimes it is a, a time wasting strategy that do not mm -hmm. lead you anywhere. So that, that's, okay. that's one of the other lessons I learned. Okay. And how are you implementing that? Is particularly the uh, listening to users more? How are you implementing that into your daily work schedule and, and, and feature requests? Basically, we have like a, like a policy right now mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. if, if a customer wants to implement a new feature, only if they are like current existing customers, we will add mm -hmm. the feature, but they will have to pay for it because otherwise we would end up, end up adding and adding features that are only being used by one single company. So, so that's the only thing we do right now. So if somebody requests something to you and he says, yes, we'll add this, but you need to buy the software a year in advance or something like that, an annual plan or something. Is that how you do it? Or do you say, okay, yes, this is exactly. a custom. Okay, that's how you do it. Like say, we'll add this. You need to add, you know, you need to buy an annual subscription now and the cost is whatever it is. Exactly. If we find that the request is something that is going to be useful for all the users, uh, we do mm -hmm. not charge for it but they mm -hmm. do need to be existing customers in order to request something. Because in the past, when we first started, we were mm -hmm. accepting requests for everyone. In fact, one big bank here in Latin America uh, had mm -hmm. a demo for one whole year. They requested it to install in their own servers and we did everything for free. And at the end, mm -hmm. they said that their policies changed and they did not uh, they did not buy the software. So we learned that if, if someone was paying, it was an existing customer, we should attend the request. Otherwise, we would not do it. Because here in Latin America, sometimes it happens. And it can even happen that they use your software. They copy your software. And at the end, they say, OK, it was OK, but we're not buying the software. That can happen here oh in Latin America. Oh, my gosh. Yes. OK, that sounds like a great, great lesson. Alexandra, I want to thank you so much for your time. How can people find out more about you? Obviously, we'll have CloudWorks in the show notes. That's cloud, C-L-O-W-D-Works.com. And we'll have that in the show notes. But how can people reach out to you and find out more about your story uh, well, or if they want to find out about your software? Uh, in my LinkedIn profile, Alexandra Gamara, you will find me or cloudword.com is C-L-O-W-D-W-O-R-K.com. Uh, and also you can email me on Alexandra at cloudword.com. Thank you Perfect. for having me, Jordi. It was a pleasure. And, it and was I a can, pleasure. I'm always happy to share my experience. Thank you. Well, we wish you luck breaking into the English-speaking world. Hopefully this podcast will help with that. And we look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much. I hope at the end of, of the year, I can tell you the good news about the English-speaking markets. Thank you. Yes, I, I look forward to hearing that. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web 
Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner. <laughs>